Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and resiliency expert. And my purpose in life is to encourage people to live positively with and through the many and very challenges of life. And today's show, you are going to learn about that for sure. My uh, co-host uh, today, the amazing Jim Shorkey in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Jim, tell people about yourself, please. Well, you know, it's that's that's kind of a hard question to answer in this particular light. Jessica, I... I uh, read a lot about you and I watched a lot of video about you and I, I, I am in awe. I just think you're an amazing person and an inspiration to uh, everybody on the call. And I must say, in my, in my opinion at least, I think we all need to stop complaining, uh, especially, especially when we listen to your story. And, uh, you know, I tend to complain whether, you know, it's a difficult run or a difficult day or whatever. And it's like, I'm feeling sorry for myself. And boy, stories like your story really, kind of set the record straight of, you know, what have I got to complain about, you know? And, and right. it was interesting in, in, in reading about you, Jessica, the, the one point that was very, well, there were several poignant points, but one very poignant was that you um, you don't want your arms. You don't want arms, I should say, is what you said. And I thought that was incredible that you feel that you're better off without them than with them as far as your life purpose. Right. So it was uh, really, really cool. Let so, me introduce. I'm going to talk about Jessica. Amen. Let me introduce Jessica officially. Born without arms, Jessica Cox could have succumbed to the low expectations that entered ushered her into this world. In spite of them all, she graduated from college, learned to swim, drive a car, surf, scuba dive, fly an airplane, and became a Taekwondo state champion. I can't do any of those things so far. And live independently using her feet in ways others who take their hands for granted can only imagine. She holds the title of the first person without arms to get a black belt in ATA martial arts and in the Guinness Book of Records for the first pilot to fly with her feet. I would venture to say she's probably the only pilot to fly with her feet. Her greatest triumph in life stands far above any physical feat. It is her unrepentant regard for herself as a whole person, her high degree of self-acceptance that acceptance that gives her the freedom and power to insist that society accepts her just as she is. Welcome to the show officially, Jessica. Thank you for having me on the show. Glad to be on. Wow, this is uh, uh, Taekwondo State Champion. That is an, uh, interesting to me. I uh, interviewed someone you want to probably interested in. You look him up. Kyle Maynard, probably around oh, your yeah. age, born yeah, without arms. Story. 
he heard a story and he like won 60 some odd wrestling matches in high school without arms and legs so every time i talk i tell kyle's story and so becoming a taekwondo state champion and a black belt like wow did you ever think like i can't possibly do this or did you just right away say okay there must be a way i'm gonna do become a a, a black belt did you ever have you must have had some doubts when you first came up with that idea you know i started taekwondo when i was 10 years old and my mom decided to bring my brother sister and i to a taekwondo class not knowing if one of us uh, decided to pursue it, and and my brother ended up uh, not. He decided it wasn't for him. My sister, she was more of a dancer, so I was the only one who stayed in the taekwondo classes and pursued black belt at the age of fourteen, and then resumed it in college um, after a break for a couple years. But taekwondo really helped develop my confidence, and that's what has really uh, helped me to. Just keep my eye level up, keep my confidence up, and that, and also the discipline that comes with the martial art as well. Right. A lot of discipline. Uh, I think back to a guy I admired years ago, probably still around, John Foppe, F-O-P-P-E, worked with Zig Ziglar. Mm-hmm. And see, you know my friends. And I saw a video of him and how he gets around with no hands, no arms. How he does the bed with his feet, brushes his teeth, his wallets in his uh, shoes. And it's like, wow. So tell the, tell our listeners what it's like using your feet as your hands. Well, for me, this is as natural as it is for anyone using their hands. Because I was born this way, since day one, my feet connected to my brain in a way that children learn to do things with their hands and, and and making that connection to explore the world. I did things like picked up items or fell to something was smooth or rough or hot or cold. That was my way of exploring the world. It was a very natural adaptation for me. Right. Right. It must have been fascinating for your parents or probably even exciting for your parents to see that, hey, she picks things up just in a different way. Yes, it was, you know, it was, I'm sure, reassuring for them to know that despite the fact that I didn't have the arms because they were always concerned about what kind of future was in store for me, that reassured them that I could use my feet in a way that other people use their hands. Right, exactly. It just became uh, natural for you. Amazing. I think when I spoke to John Foppy, uh, the only thing he said is, I hope I don't get arthritis in my hips because I use my hips so much to use my feet. And mm-hmm. amazing. And so, but I imagine some challenges like getting dressed, like here, for instance, I have big pro. I need a sock putter on her. I need a, a dressing stick to loop onto my pants to pull them up. And uh, wife helps me sometimes. So some of the challenges people wouldn't even naturally automatically think of, but uh, so learning them the first time must be challenging. My wife has a word for me that you may like. She says handy capable because she says if you say handicapped, it's a kind of a, it's like a stigma if you're handicapped, but if you're handy capable. So uh, you have to kind of explain to listeners, I know it and you know it, like how creative you have to be. You have to think differently than other people to do things that people just naturally do with, when they have arms. Yes, the most difficult thing was 
just getting dressed because I hear you use a dressing stick and I use a dressing hook and the hook essentially clamps onto the side of a dresser or a wall Mm -hmm. and I'm able to hang my clothing on that hook and wiggle my way in. But that process of creativity to come up with that solution was (laughs) years and years of trial and error to figure out what would work best. Right, and just little things like that. I have a nice car, like a sports car, but they didn't have power seats. So my wife said, well, and I can't reach in the front, right? Pull seat up and back. So my wife said, okay, let's get a belt. We'll attach it to that bar. We'll hook it to the side so you can reach it. And now I have the fastest power seat you'll ever find for $10 for the price of a cheap belt. And so the creativity you have to come up with when you're handy capable is extraordinary. And so anything you think of that you want to do, probably like myself, you're like, oh, I'm sure I can do it. I just got to think through the process of how to do this best and easiest and create, create creatively. And so very cool. Well, Jim, if you don't start asking questions, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to hog this interview. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go off script. Uh, Tom, you know, I I generally do go off script, but I I did a lot of reading about Jessica. And again, I find it to be fascinating. So my favorite quote, I want to bounce my favorite quote off you, Jessica, and I want to get your comments on this quote. So this is a quote by George Bernard Shaw. You know, I I have it memorized, so I'll just uh, say it right now. Uh, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want, and if they can't find them, make them, end quote. So your thoughts on that quote, Jessica, and Tom as well. Well, I love that quote, and I sh- that's the first time I've um, heard that quote, actually, I'm, I'm, maybe I've heard it in passing, but it's been many years. But I, I always, you know, do things in the way that comes from a non-victim mentality, uh, mm-hmm. someone who doesn't see myself with circumstances that are negative. And I have, I have my dad to thank for, he's always said on a number of occasions, he's never once seen me as, as a victim and therefore, I could never see myself as a victim. And and having that kind of faith wow. in, in who I am, is it really created a foundation for me so that I could go forward in my life from a non-victim perspective and just go through the challenges and do what it takes to get something accomplished, even if it takes more time than the average person, but just not giving up. And my mom always told me that you can do anything and she lived that lifestyle as well. So I had wonderful role models. I feel blessed to have parents who supported me in that journey. Wow. And, you know, and you're commenting to that, you know, and it's unfortunate, but it is so true. 95% or somewhere in that number, around that number, I should say, 95% of the people in the United States of America feel a victim. They feel like they're the victim, and hence the quote, you know. And so they're the victim. And so that's why your story is so captivating and so inspiring is that, my goodness, here you are not feeling the victim. And then somebody else is feeling the victim because they just lost their job or they just, uh, you know, uh, couldn't pay their car payment this month or whatever the case may be. And you're saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to get up in the morning and, you know, I'm going to get it on. And in spite of all this, uh, this, this, this hand that 
most people would say, you know, Jessica's been dealt a bad hand. You're saying I've been dealt a great hand. And that is so, 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 so cool. So, yeah, applaud us to you, uh, Jessica. I find it to be incredible. Right. And Jessica, isn't it a blessing that you really didn't have control over to have parents like you did? Like, I see the difference. My parents let me do anything. I played arthro- I played hockey, ice hockey. Hey, you live in Canada. You better play ice hockey or you're going to get bug- bugged. So I played ice hockey. Not the best thing for someone with rheumatoid arthritis and bad legs and pain all over. I had two uh, paper routes when I was a kid. And in, in winter in Canada, that's a pr- pretty dumb job to have. <laughs> but it's a job I could have. And so um, my parents allowed me to do things that they knew would be challenging. Even, say, if I played hockey, I knew likely the next day you're likely going to be, like, immobilized, not able to go to church or school or whatever the next day was. And so isn't that a blessing, uh, Jessica, to have parents that treated you or thought of you just like your uh, father did and your mother did? Like, hey, there's no disability here. Let's just get on with it. Let's not talk about this any further. Yes, it's it's such an important role um, as a parent with a child with a difference is to really empower them. And and at times, sometimes it's hard to watch um, to watch a child struggle. But sometimes it takes that tough love for a mm. child to figure something out or to struggle through a challenge. But the moment that's accomplished, though, there's a sense of independence and achievement that's even greater. And if if they're allowed to figure that out on their own. And I think that's something to tough love, which is critical in, in parenting as well. Right. And just if you have a handicapable child, it's a great way to raise them. Uh, my mom and I were in lots of doctor's offices where the other children with rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, were treated like uh, they were in a bubble. They didn't go to school. They didn't participate in anything. They just got homeschooled that was it their life is like over as far as their parents are concerned so they didn't let them do anything and so i'm so glad i ended up with parents who's like all right you got it but let's get on with life and let's live it as normally as you can and do what you can as much as you can so amazing now talk about uh thinking about learning to become a pilot like at that point my your dad must have been like hmm Maybe I shouldn't have been so encouraging. Like, this could be dangerous. My my sister did this skydiving. My dad had his own small plane, loves flying. And he told her, like, skydiving is just a waste of a good plane ride. So he yeah. loves he loves flying. So talk about thinking of becoming a pilot. And you must have had to go through all kinds of government regulations. Like, how is this going to work? Yes, it, it actually worked out uh, a lot easier than we anticipated. We thought it was going to be a little bit of a fight, but it turned out that the examiner, um, fast forward three years, three different airplanes, three different flight instructors and training in Florida, California, and Arizona, numerous hours later of this training, um, I was able to become a certified pilot and, and pass my check ride with the examiner saying, if you can fly an airplane with your nose, then you can fly an airplane. If you can safely demonstrate how you can fly this airplane with your feet, I see no reason why you can't uh, receive this certification. So it was surprisingly encouraging and a refreshing experience 
um, and not not a process of convincing them that it could be done. They could just see it through the demonstrations of the way I fl- flew the airplane. And wow. that was it was a long process, of course. Like I mentioned, it was it took a lot of persistence, but it was um, wonderful how um, I was able to fly my dad as my first passenger. And he is the type of dad who's a backseat driver. And for the first time in his life and mine, he could not be a backseat driver. It was a very unusual feeling to be pilot command of an airplane because he's not a pilot. Right. And I was the one pilot command of that airplane on that first flight. So it was wonderful. My parents supported me, especially my dad, because he's an aviation enthusiast. So my mom was more of the hesitant one with the the flying endeavor. But um, when it came to finishing up it really proved to be a wonderful thing to show other people not just be an accomplishment in my life but to show other people the limitations are those that we set for ourselves and um, just to show people the sky is not the limit right wow i love it no special equipment just a regular plane you can jump in not a modified airplane just a regular air coupe airplane um but this particular airplane is unique in design in that it doesn't have rudder pedals. But aside from that, it's not it's a sixty something year old airplane built in the forties. So <laughs> this is a an older airplane. Right. Um and and you know, it's it's not any different. It hasn't been modified in any way. So I fly it which is my feet on the controls. Wow. Amazing. Jim? You better ask a question now, because I'm going to just I could uh, talk to Jessica all yeah, day. You know what? It's really about you know listening to the message, not asking the questions. But believe me, I'm fine. But I I have this ambition, uh, Tom and Jessica both, to to write a uh, a book, a children's book, specifically to my grandchildren. Is the real inspiration that I want to write this book that teaches them at a very young age the principles of success, which I feel like I know. And so I'm listening to you talk, and I'm writing notes as you speak, Jessica, and uh, and Tom. Tom Tom is an incredibly inspirational guy for me. And so I just wrote myself a note, or I wrote uh, a a part of my book. So I I need. I think it's very important that we use examples to teach. And and four of my success principles are persistence, uh, desire, faith, and willpower. And uh, willpower, of course, is self mastery, self discipline, and self control. Persistence is ceaselessness and tenacity. And desire and faith wire that whole thing together. And so, what a wonderful opportunity for me to to have somebody, you know, make a drawing of Jessica to explain this to the children. I'm talking, you know, eight, nine, ten year old children. You know, that, that how important this is and how this can relate to them. So that being said, I and, and and again, listening to you speak before I get on the call, one of the things that you say is that you eliminated the words "I can't" from your vocabulary. And um, so I'm going to go back to another one of my favorite quotes. And I have this quote in front of me at all times. It's on my bathroom vanity. And I look at it multiple times every day. It's a quote by Henry Ford. And that quote says, whether you can or think you can't, you are right. So if you could speak to my grandchildren about that uh, specific quote and what I said about the book and persistence, desire, faith, and willpower, tell me your, your thoughts about that quote, Jessica. When we use the words, I can't, we set ourselves up for failure. Um, It's amazing how powerful words can be. When we say something, we start to believe it and we think about it. And that ends up 
shaping our lives. So to prevent that from happening, to prevent formulating limitations, it's better to not say those words and eliminate the two words I say. I always do my best to eliminate. I can't. And instead say, I can or I'll try or give me some time and I'll figure it out or I haven't figured it out yet because it leaves room for possibility. It leaves room for accomplishing it, even though it's not accomplished in the in the present time, you still have time in the future to work on it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it, it shapes uh, accomplishments in a way um, that it's, it's, it's really powerful how our words shape what we accomplish. Right. My wife calls me the word police because <laughs> if she says something in a negative way or an I can't thing or always or never, uh, I'm so very conscious of the words, right, Jessica, that we that we use. And as you mm-hmm. said, qualifier, there's probably nothing too impossible if you give me enough time and creativity and time to think i'd probably be able to figure out a way so avoid saying can't you say at this moment i don't know how or at this point i don't know i haven't done it but uh, as maybe or at this point it's not something that's really on my list but the more you start saying you can't do something or i'm not good at and you're just like telling your brain okay that's good to be not good at that or not whatever so so important right the the words we use but isn't it as important jessica we have uh i use the word the number 60,000 could be 50 could be 70 th- uh, thoughts a day 60,000 thoughts a day so yeah way more of those than you have words that you speak um so the thoughts are the are even as more important than the words you speak cuz they come to you first so you must have, like, uh, I explain and what people like to hear me talk about is that how to go from thinking, like, of pain or something negative to be positive all the time. And so there's stories like yourself and Kyle Maynard. You know, I'm going to be talking about you, Jessica, for <laughs> a while and uh, to audiences. And so you must have a pro- process. Uh, Canadians say process, but you must have a process for switching your brain from a negative thought so even i'm 53 years or 47 years with arthritis i still get frustrated with things but i can easily switch my mind to positive in a instant and so that must be a, a skill you must have learned as well i think so yes and i i think it also comes with or with just my my situation and the fact that when i was even I mean, as young as I can remember, how I would address a challenge is I would dissect the challenge into smaller little steps. And even if it took a little bit longer, I would I would do it. It's just I would break it down into achievable steps or and then use creativity to find an innovative way to approach it or come up with a solution. And since that was ingrained in me for years, since I was a child and even doing the most basic thing, like I like to refer to my own shoelaces, I learned how to tie my shoes by having my feet outside the shoe, which seems pointless. But for me, if I had my foot inside the shoe, it would lim- eliminate my toes from working and tying the laces. <laughs> so I had both feet out. Right. First. Wow. And I have a thing. Think outside the shoe. <laughs> because of that challenge and how I had to dissect it and approach it in a different way. 
<laughs> wow, what a unique way. I never thought of that, but for sure, you need your toes to tie your shoes. But if they're in the shoe, you can't tie your shoes. Mm-hmm. So are you like me? Like, I can't bend down, so I just tie them in a way that I can slip them on or off. I do, considering how often I use my feet. I just right. put my feet in and, you know, if I were to tie my shoes every time, I'd be spending a lot of time tying shoelaces. Right. And if I don't get help for it, what I have to do is find a chair, throw the shoe up in the air so I can catch it, and then tie it, and hopefully it's the right tightness, then put it back on, and maybe repeat the process till I get the right tightness. People don't see those things. What about if you drop something? You must... Well, you got your feet, so one of the challenges for me, I got reachers in every room because I drop things and I can't pick them up, and so you've mastered that. You got them right there to pick it up with your feet. Mm-hmm. I have the advantage of having everything on uh, right next to my feet when, they're fall- when they fall <laughs> on the floor. In fact, if you go to my apartment or my house now, um, you'll see things on the floor, and, and people tend to come over and they'll pick up a set of keys or or go over and pick up that piece of paper, and I'm like, I intentionally have that on the floor. Because <laughs> right, that's, that's a shelf for me. Mm-hmm. Right. For men, usually a floor is a shelf, but now for you, the floor is a shelf as well. Yep, it is. Very good, very good. Now, uh, now Jim and I both are speakers. We speak. Uh, Jim speaks more locally. I'm speaking around the world, but... Uh, Talk about the journey to become a speaker, because I imagine from when you were a young age, at least it happened to me, my rheumatologist, orthopedic doctors would always say, hey, can you go speak to so-and-so? They were just diagnosed or have to have a joint replaced or something. And so I got a clue when I was young, like, hey, these doctors and arthritis society keep sending me around to talk to people to encourage them and let them know, okay, not the end of the world, speak to their parents. Did you have that as a like obvious example of, hey, this is a way I can use what I've got to encourage other people? I had one of those moments. It was as a sophomore in high school. I was invited to speak to a group of seventh graders at the junior high school. And I just remember going in thinking, well, what do they need to hear from me? <laughs> um, and I started talking about my life and how I do, do things. And one at a time, this group... They were actually a group of students that had their own challenges. They'd come up to me and tell me how inspiring just hearing my story uh, was for them that day. And I think that planted a seed to consider the occupation of becoming a speaker. I didn't even know you could sustain yourself as a speaker, but found out this whole world of speakers and right. how competitive it is and how unique stories there were and that's actually when I reached out initially to John Foppy who you interviewed you you brought uh, his name up he um I said to him I sent him an email after seeing him in in an article and seeing that he was a motivational speaker and I said well I'd like to become a motivational speaker what do I need to do and he gave me certain things to do so he was among the first um speakers who helped me pay who helped pay the way for me to become a speaker as well. And now I've been speaking for 10 years, 20 countries. Wow. And next week I leave to Switzerland, of Phoenix, Kansas City, and Dallas, Texas. <laughs> um, it's going to be crazy, but uh, I'm just glad we're doing the interview this week. Right. So. Have you, uh, I have another question, then Jim will let you grab one. But uh, uh, when they, people think about speaking, they think it's somewhat glamorous, but... Uh, when I travel, I have challenges, and I'm pretty stubborn too. So I don't, 
accept help very easily. I try to do it just like everyone else is doing. Um, so even though it's a, a cool career and you get to meet amazing people, it's not as uh, exciting all the time as people think because traveling in airports is bad enough. But when you have no arms, uh, there must be some unique challenges there. Yes, people don't realize. Actually, my biggest challenge is dealing with bags and right. carrying right. them around. And, and before, um, my husband and I do this together full time. But prior to that, I was traveling a lot on my own. And when I travel on my own, I would have to carry everything that I needed for that particular business trip on my back. So I used backpacks instead of rolling oh, suitcases because right. rolling suitcases don't work for me. And, um, and, and so I used either a duffel bag or a backpack in order to get to a different place where I was speaking. But that was probably the biggest challenge was just carrying my bags around and getting them to where I needed to go. Wow. Jim, I'm going to hog this here because I have another question. And, you, and I, before I got married, Jessica, I was really fiercely independent. Would do everything mm -hmm. I could for myself. Now, after I got married, it's become easier to let my wife do things that are difficult for me. And sometimes I am like, resist that, like, oh, I'll do it myself. She's like, you know, I can do it quickly and easily. Why are you being stubborn? Uh, has that come out of being married a little bit? The ability to let your husband be like, you can do that. I know, Jessica, but hey, I can do it easier and quicker. Let me do that for you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's, it, even like things, um, it sounds strange, but the one thing that I still struggle with out of everything for my own personal needs is tying my hair in a ponytail. And <laughs> Patrick has learned how to do my hair. And that's not a typical thing you'd ask your husband to do, right. especially men. They don't really like doing that kind of well some men do but right. most men don't know how to start with doing women's hair because guys always have short hair right. and so he learned in our relationship how to do my hair which is just wonderful and i mean right. i everyone comment compliments me on my hair and i'm like oh i, I can't take all the credits my husband <laughs> <laughs> the little things like that like i can put my socks on with a sock putter on her but my wife is like why are you pulling this sock device out? She said, just go give those to me. Let me put them on. And so it makes it a little nicer and more special to have your socks put on by your wife than some plastic sock device. And so I give in a lot easier than I used to. Amazing. All right, Jim, one more question for you. I watched the trailer, I guess it's called, for the documentary. Oh. And it was a uh, really, really cool five minutes and 39 seconds long. I've watched it three times. It's really, really cool and uh, something to be proud of. That being said, uh, the one other thing I noticed that I thought was really, really, really cool was you mentioned the lady that you met. And it was at a low moment in your life where you were, you know, not happy about your lack of arms and questioning that whole thing. And, and this lady really, really, really inspired you. And so my, my thought is, it's really not so much a question, but, you know, it's amazing to me that we hold this person in our hands and we impact on this person. And, you know, my goal as a, as a motivational you know, human being is that someday 
this person, you know, 30 years from now will be sitting around the table and say, you know, I remember, I remember the day that I met Jim Shorkey and he changed my life and everything that I, that I have, everything that we have, everything that we do is a result of that conversation 30 years ago with Jim Shorkey. And he really gave me some great ideas. And uh, that lady, and I don't recall her name. You, you obviously do, but that lady yeah, really, fine. really had an impact. Yeah, had an impact on you. I, I watched you uh, walking through the grocery store with her and, uh, and, and she really had an impact on you. So could you speak to that? please? I, had a life-changing moment when I met someone in my same situation who also didn't have arms and just seeing her and and being with her and knowing that I'm not the only one but also seeing all that she achieved she was a thing um, a mom who had two sons she was doing primarily um, all of the child care for the ch- for the boys changing their diapers carrying them around um, and uh, dressing them up and, and feeding them and everything and just to witness that gave me a sense of empowerment that if I want to be a mom, I can be a mom one day. I could have children. And that type of confidence that she instilled in me is something that no one else can do. And, and that, that mentorship relation, mentor relationship was something that I really treasured, uh, especially at a time when, when I did have a lot of questions. And so now I'm able to do the same for so many other young girls who were born without arms or who lost their arms and replicate that same relationship with them. And there's no greater feeling to know that you've reassured someone in the hope of that they can live a fulfilling life or they can do whatever mm-hmm. they want to do mm-hmm. and, and they can ha- and they can be happy and they can have it they can have it all if they choose. And not having arms is not gonna affect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I really do believe, uh, Jessica, that it goes way, way, way beyond that. Because, you know, a person with no arms obviously is going to identify with you. But I would I would really think that the person who is a, a drug addict and they're just having a really, really hard time getting over that challenge or the person who um, has uh, difficult difficulties. I mean, everybody has difficulties in life to a degree. And... There's probably some people that have such an extreme difficulty that you would never consider tra- trading places with them. You know, like people that are contemplating suicide, for example. And you could be you. You are such a light to those people because what 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 happens in life is when a person gives up hope. That's when it's it's really all over. They have no hope, and you you really do give people you give me hope. You know, uh, it's it's uh, and it comes down to I, my my attitude has always been uh, if she can do it. I can do it. If he can do it, I can do it. And I really do think that you give people hope because you're out there with a huge smile on your face and you're walking and rolling. And it was, I can, I can beat this situation that I find myself in. I can beat this with the inspiration of Jessica Cox. And so I, I would uh, really, really like to hear more about the other disabilities that you find people in that you also can be inspirational about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. I received an I received an email a couple of years back from a guy in India who was suicidal at the time and he heard my story through um like viral news that went and reached India and he said, you know, thank you for your story. I'm gonna keep trying and it was <sighs> to get that email was incredible and it still stands far above many of the congratulatory emails I get, but to hear that that 
guy thousands of miles away heard the story and decided to reconsider um, giving up. And that was that was amazing to hear. And there you go. So you have an incredible, and I don't want to put pressure on you, Jessica. You're just such an awesome lady. But you have an incredible responsibility when you're on that stage because you are you are the lady that you walk through the grocery store with to the suicidal uh, human being or the drug uh, addict human being, whatever the case may be, the struggling human being. You are that that uh, you are that candle to them, and you're holding them in your hands. And you know you're going to hear these. You're going to get more emails about how you. Uh, change somebody's life the same way your life was changed uh, with uh, your walk through that grocery store. So right, that's right. pretty neat. Jessica, I'm well known for always answering amazing when asked how I'm doing. And when you're in constant, never-ending pain, it's not always easy. But I, I remind people, like, four out of ten people in the world live on less than $2 a day, and they don't eat every day. And I live in Canada. It's not the same in the U.S. But I've been in the hospital 40 times. I've had four hips, four knees, and two shoulders replaced. And it costs nothing every time. We have universal health care. Uh, I don't miss a meal if I do, you know. Uh, it's because I'm too busy, not because I, I can't. And so even despite the challenges we face, just being born in North America gives us blessings that other people that have the same thing as us in another country will never experience. So we can always feel blessed to at least have our disability and live where we live than someone who lives in a third world country and has not much hope at all. Yes, true. Well, thank you so much for this, uh, for um, inviting me to be a part of the interview. Oh, I'm actually, I actually have to run off to another interview here. <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're sending me messages. Oh, okay. To go to another interview, but um, it was so nice so to speak much, with Jessica. both of you. Thank you, Jessica. Have an amazing day. Keep on uh, encouraging people. You're you really are an example for me. Take care. Congratulations. And same to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at tomtutall.com for details.